Hello, my name is Barney Weston and you're listening to the IJ3U podcast. I'm an event manager based at the European Centre for Press and Media Freedom in Leipzig, Germany, and we are one of three organisations working on the IJ3U programme. That stands for Investigative Journalism for Europe. We work on the programme of the International Press Institute and the European Journalism Centre. But what do we do? Well, we give a lot of money out to cross-border investigations. Applications are open for that now. And we also organise Hashtag Uncovered, a conference for the cross-border journalism community. That's coming up in April next year in Berlin. You can sign up for Uncovered and apply for an IJ3U grant at www.ij3u.net. But more on cross-border journalism. What is it? You might be very well versed listening to this, but for anyone that doesn't know, it's when at least two journalists based in different countries work together to research a shared theme or investigation. You're now listening to the first episode of the IJ3U podcast, and this podcast looks back on IJ3U-funded investigations, how they came together, and why your next investigation should be a cross-border one. Today we're looking at Black Trail, an agenda-setting investigation into the relationship between two truly cross-border topics, shipping and climate change. The team behind this investigation, spanning from the Arctic Circle's melting ice caps to Lisbon's megaport, focused on how the IMO, the International Maritime Organization, a UN agency, is failing to appropriately regulate ships' carbon emissions. Remember, shipping is a global issue, so it requires global regulation from an organization like the UN. The documentary also shows how shipping continues to burn the dirtiest of all transport fuels, and why ship emissions are responsible for more than 50,000 deaths a year in Europe, driving up cancer rates in Mediterranean port cities. What's particularly unique about this investigation is that it's a television documentary. Most cross-border investigations are journalists working together, but ultimately producing different pieces of content for their own audiences. This investigation brought together all the footage from all the partners and created a television documentary that could be watched by a combined audience of all the outlets and beyond. So if you want to learn more about just how much shipping is contributing to climate change, or more about a new way of working in journalism, stay tuned. Here is one of the investigation's lead journalists who will be taking us through the rest of this story. My name is Mikael Pereira. I'm a senior writer at the leading newspaper in Portugal, Espresso, and I worked as a producer and author of the investigative documentary Black Rail. I've been working as an investigative journalist for many years. Most of the stories I have worked on um, in the last uh, 10 years are about corruption, tax fraud, and money laundering involving uh, usually prominent figures in politics and business. So what did you want to do with the documentary? We wanted to show that the shipping industry is an industry that is growing its emissions. And to make it worse, ships are still burning such a dirtiest fuel those emissions are black. And, and that, in fact, justifies the title of the documentary, Black Trail. Okay, now describe to me a little bit more about what the documentary actually ended up being. Take me through it. Where did you go? And what was the purpose of each visit? We came up with the narrative of starting with these port cities in Europe, uh, in Portugal, in Lisbon, and in Italy, some uh, uh, cities in Italy, where we can see the impact in local populations of the shipping emissions, and we get familiar to, to, to the black carbon and to these so special 
such a special uh, um, fuel that people are not uh, aware. And, and from there, we go to global. So we start in local with a local impact uh, of, of these uh, emissions, and then we uh, go to the global if, uh, the global effects on, on climate, uh, climate warming. Um, and that's why we decided to, uh, uh, after we go to this, or after we went to these port cities, we decided to go to the Arctic. Uh, and then we go to confrontational. Uh, um, and then we uh, basically, that's why we, we went to Greece to interview some important bosses of the industry because Greece has, uh, basically represents half of the industry in Europe. Uh, and um, uh, we get familiar to, to what is the UN agency that regulates uh, um, the, um, the shipping. And, and that, in fact, led us to go to IMO's um, headquarters afterwards. So that was the way we wanted to show this story. And how do you tackle the problem of trust then, giving away your idea? Because I think that's one of the barriers that people constantly mention when it comes to cross-border journalism, trusting another journalist not to steal your idea. How did you overcome that? Trust is a really interesting uh, concept in journalism, I would say, and also an asset, maybe the biggest asset that you can have in journalism. Trust is the best thing you can sell to people, right? Not content. Also, trust is the best thing you can sell to your colleagues, right? I mean, so trust sometimes is hard and takes time to build. Journalists that are uh, uh, used to work in a collaborative cross-border environment learn how to trust each other. (laughs) And uh, so trust is part of the business, is really core uh, to collaborative uh, journalism. And so we were not afraid. No one was afraid of having ideas stolen. Um, We are, in fact, happy when someone is willing to join because there's uh, so much to do uh, so much so many other stories to do and and and, and there are clear rules on that in fact if you uh, infringe the rules uh, of course next time you are not working with uh, those guys right so that's how trust is built it's like that you you build it with experience and accepting the rules and, and, and learning that this is quite a big asset to have, to trust each other and to sell this trust to, to, to readers and viewers. Together we stand, you know, divided we fall. This idea is quite uh, significant to climate crisis stories. We need this in, in, in for, for tackling global warming, you know. It's only together that we can make this topic stronger than it is in media. When and where did the IJ4EU come in? The IJ4EU grant was fundamental for the project. In fact, the idea to go forward with the production of a documentary came after uh, we learned about this grant. Uh, So the grant uh, opened the possibility of doing a, a more ambitious uh, fieldwork than previously uh, thought you know we got a grant of 30000 euros we went we were in italy in greece we of 
course, we filmed in Portugal, where I'm based. Uh, but we went to Belgium, to France. We we had to hire people. We did animation films that we, we, we of course, had to pay. And so we did a lot with, with the grant. This was only possible because uh, we, was, we were awarded with that grant. Tell me more about Nikolos Leontopoulos. He led your team in Greece, which was important to cover because, as we've already mentioned, Greece is one of the world's largest shipping hubs. Why was it important to have a team in Greece? And who was your team there? We were very lucky to have Reporters United from Greece, and namely Nicholas, who leads this amazing project. Because for this topic, Greece is quite important. Greece represents half of the industry, the shipping industry in the entire Europe, in the entire continent. So it's quite huge. So we managed to take the most out of it. Greece became a core part of the documentary. My name is Nikolas Leontopoulos. I'm a reporter based in Athens, Greece. And at the same time, I'm a co-founder of a new journalistic project called Reporters United, which is a network of reporters. You have to know there is a very interesting paradox in Greece. Shipping is extremely important. Ship owners are very important in Greece, which is easy to understand why. Greece is by far the, 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 the number one uh, shipping nation in, in the world. It's by far the leader of the global shipping industry which is a paradox in, in itself because it's such a small country. The second paradox is that despite the uh, shipping being so important in Greece, there is so little uh, critical reporting done about the sector. Climate change is also a huge story in Greece as it is around the world, but very few people understand why the shipping industry is so relevant in the story. And actually, this also was one of the core arguments of the whole documentary, not just for us in Greece, but also for our colleagues around Europe. You, everybody's talking about climate change, but very few people understand why shipping is so relevant. Tell me more about you and Reporters United's role in this investigation. For us, it was quite obvious from the first moment that what would make the Greek chapter important would be to convince the big shots of the Greek shipping industry to appear on camera. And actually, I have to pay credit to my colleague Mirto Bucci, who is also a member of Reporters United, and who was able to convince the big ship owners, or at least some of them, to appear on camera. And this has not been easy at all, because you have to understand that this has been an industry that has been not just on a Greek level, but on a global level, quite secretive for decades. Tell me more about these interviews that you had. What was your reaction as you were speaking to these people, considering the fact that they rarely do public interviews? So one of the main interviews of the film, and later on it became one of the main characters of the film, was Mr. Panos Laskaridis, who is a very important Greek ship owner. He's also important on an institutional level because for years he was the head of the European Association of Ship Owners. And this is an interview did by, by Mikhail uh, from uh, Portugal and by Mirto, my Greek colleague. And uh, it, it was a fascinating interview because he, after a point, he started speaking with no filter. Uh, this you need to understand well. People who are in shipping don't need the Greek government, don't need the ministry, don't need the IMO, don't need the prime minister they can shit on the Prime Minister. 
they have no need of the prime minister. Why? Because shipping has nothing to do with Greece. There is nothing that a ship owner will gain from Greece. No cargoes to Greece, no contracts from Greece, nothing in Greece. Only his office is here. 80% has foreign flags, but they don't, they don't care about the Greek flag. When uh, this uh, Greek ship owner, Panos Laskaridis, said out loud that ship owners could shit on the prime minister in Greece, uh, I mean, I was quite amazed. I mean, we went out, me and my colleague uh, Mirto, that were doing the interview, we went out and we couldn't believe. We couldn't believe. And once you'd done that, did you think, we've got a story here? Once this is published, this is going to do well, we're going to make an impact? We thought that this uh, unfiltered uh, way of talking of ship owner Panos Laskaridis would make our documentary uh, strong in Greece. Let's talk about the IMO. Mikel, what is the IMO? IMO, the International Maritime Organization, is a UN agency that regulates shipping also because um, shipping is uh, out of the Paris Agreement. And IMO has this uh, uh, role also to, to, to deal with uh, the way shipping uh, tackles uh, climate, uh, crisis, the climate crisis, the global warming. And that's exactly why you needed to talk to the most senior member of staff at the IMO, their Secretary General Kitat Lim. You tried to get an interview with him, but to no avail... So you sent Margot Gibb from Finance Uncovered to doorstep him. After more than one month trying an interview with the, U, the IMO Secretary General uh, and realizing that, in fact, we were not getting the interview, we decided to have this kind of more aggressive approach of, of doorstepping. It's no way that we are not going to try whatever we can to have this this person to justify the position of this uh, regulatory body. I'm Margot Gibbs. I'm an investigative reporter. I was working on the Black Trail documentary um, at my old employer, Finance Uncovered. And we were kind of the London office for this. So we were helping with the International Maritime Organization, the IMO side of things. So we ended up doing a, a doorstep of Kitak Lim after we failed to secure an interview with him. Mr. Lim to begin with, was quite shocked. But then actually, when I was putting these questions to him um, about the IMO's responsibility and partly about how the IMO acts as an institution, he was quite responsive. I understand your point. Yeah. I understand point. Now there's everybody much aware of the climate change issues. We're ambitious. Sometimes, you know, for time being, you know, IMO, we have 174 member states. In a way, we have to reach a certain agreement. How? how, how so that's why I cannot say, I can say more. But, you know, you have to know all nowadays, thanks to the climate change Paris Agreement, everybody knows about that. Everybody knows about that. But uh, there are some different views in, in terms of how to handle now much better. I like it, I like it, but uh, I cannot uh, disclose uh, all, all in my heart. I really appreciate it. 
Huh? Great. Maybe uh, you can uh, send the message to, to my office. I will. Huh? I will. Thank Bye -bye. you, Mr. Lim. I think that you got a lot through this interview of the fact that there is at least some form of institutional regret that they haven't acted sooner. He also provided some insight into the kind of impasse that the IMO has got into. You know, as he says, this is an organisation that is made up of its member states and you will always have the Saudi Arabia's and the Brazils who are who are slow pedaling, not to let the IMO off the hook because how they you know angle themselves on all of these issues like does does set the agenda. But anyway, I thought it was a really interesting interview because it showed how although the institution, i.e. the press office, had been saying no to an interview for months really. The actual person who was in the seat was willing to speak, um, and I think that's um, I think that's quite important. I mean, I think that's important thinking about how this organisation works, and maybe that it makes this organisation think that it might work a bit differently. Kitak Lim is a diplomat who clearly understands what's at stake institutionally. I still think the IMO maybe doesn't understand what's at stake, and that was reflected in the fact that the press office essentially seemed to be worried that we were giving shipping some bad PR in doing this documentary. As I'm trying to understand how the IMO works and how you can make progress on this issue, the relationship between climate change and shipping within the shipping industry, what comes back to me is that it's again about getting the different nation states involved. And that makes me think again, it's a positive reason why you need to have a cross-border investigation to tackle this and to reach audiences in those different member states. Tell me what your reaction was to the footage of doorstepping Kitat Lim. What did you think? That was quite a moment. I was really impressed by Margot's performance and by the way these IMO Secretary General react and, uh, and delivered answers. So at this point, we've now gone over most of the investigation. And then, of course, there was this immediate rush to get the documentary edited and finished to premiere at Hashtag Uncovered Conference, which, of course, I manage and that you and I were in good touch over, Mikel. We screened the premiere of Black Trail at Hashtag Uncovered Conference 2021. When you screen the documentary, when you publish the investigation across all the outlets, did you think it was going to have the impact that it had? And what was the impact? After we released it, uh, it was quite clear that uh, it had impact. In Portugal, where where we had the story, the documentary uh, broadcasted, and uh, also a story in the newspaper, uh, I had a lot of feedback from from common people that were like shocked with what they found out in in this story. In Lisbon, that was quite interesting because you know that Lisbon has this uh, port with these cruise uh, ship ter terminals that is quite new and was uh, built, uh, reshaped and enlarged to have big uh, ships. And uh, it was quite shocking to learn about all this. We couldn't anticipate what happened because for, for such a small organization like ours, we couldn't really cope with the virality of, of the thing. You know, you had all political parties issue statements. 
you had the government issue a statement, you had all big ship owners going on the record and criticize Lascaridis for doing those statements. You had even the brother of Lascaridis, and you know family is very important in Greece, doing a statement where he kind of, he goes against his brother for doing the statement. And then it almost becomes a small cultural thing that dominates the news cycle for a few days. You know, you have memes on the internet, you have the social media, you have stand-up comedians taking this scene and exploiting into their sets, into their comedy sets. And that actually happened, didn't it? You had a stand-up comedian do something around this. Yes, yes. So it went completely viral. And also uh, uh, what surprised me the most was the the way it was uh, uh, taken by the industry itself, you know, this kind of uh, specialized media within the uh, the shipping industry that acknowledged Black Rail as a quite unique event, you know, like something really fresh and new that was showing that maybe the industry needs to, to deal with this topic in a different way. And so, and that was maybe the most surprising uh, side of the of the impact of the story. You mentioned that, of course, you're not a television journalist, but this was a television documentary, and not just even a television documentary, but one that was working across borders, working with loads of different outlets and different teams. How did you find it generally? Yeah, well, it was really it was really great because we had such a mix of people. So the Norwegian team were a TV team, Swiss team were a TV team, Greek team were mainly a print. Mikhail's worked across print and TV. But it was really, I mean, we had these weekly get-togethers and, and I don't know, every week you'll be taking on a lot of what everyone's thinking. So you'll be hearing about the concerns of filming in the Arctic when there's going to be no light. How is that going to look? Is that going to be quite boring? How is it going to be made to look exciting and engaging? So there's a nice kind of element of collaboration even when you're not, like making any decisions you just like it's very nice to work with people and take on some of their working concerns just by dint of kind of being there but we did radical sharing in terms of you know just everyone sharing all files all interview transcripts and yeah I mean it was it was it, it was really great you're now a few months down the line from publication how do you feel about the whole investigation how do you feel it was I feel that all of us that were part of this project learn a lot about how to do um, stories dealing with climate crisis and how is it possible to do it in a way that we can produce cross-border video stories. So I see it as... um, an experience uh, that I will take in the, into the future, to my own uh, uh, future projects. I think about it as a very, very important moment of my professional life. And I think the same maybe happened with some of, of my colleagues. What would you do differently if you could do it again? Of course, it's harder to do it in a way that all partners agree with the end result, right? (laughs) And so this is uh, 
I, I mean, there will be ways, I mean, to improve this, this process, right? Um, I think the, the, one of the solution would be to have these clear rules uh, from the beginning. Like, footage is produced uh, collaboratively and shared. Well, cross-border journalism is certainly a new trend in the industry, and the reason we wanted to get you on here first on the podcast is because Black Trail was ultimately a really ambitious project that tried to produce a truly cross-border documentary. I think quite often cross-border journalism is done between outlets, and they come together and they'll work together, but at the end of the day, the outlet does their story for their audience, and another outlet does their story for their audience, and they all have their own editorial controls. But what I think that this tried to do was to produce a documentary that at the end of the day would have all of the partners' editorial consent and say so. And I think that was very ambitious and a true cross-border journalism documentary and I don't know any other like it. But the question is, Mikel, would you do it again? I would. I would. I'm, I'm proud of it. And I think we all are proud of it. It's good that we have these kind of experiences and we can learn from it and... And we need, I feel this need of of working in a deeper way uh, on, on climate crisis. I owe this to my kids. We are living a time that we should try new things, new approaches. And we should not fear that. And um, one big aspect on that is the way we are willing to build trust not only between ourselves, journalists, but between us and viewers and uh, readers. Trust, in this case, is everything. And that's why collaborating is so powerful. And we should not be shy on showing that. Collaborating is part of the story. And doing documentaries can enhance that you know so if you can do it <laughs> so an excellent interview there with Mikel Pereira Nicholas Leontopoulos and Margot Gibbs uh, some of the journalists behind Black Trail an IJ3U funded investigation that looks at the relationship between shipping and climate change thank you very much everyone for coming on and for all you new listeners please go to www.ij3u.net for more information on who we are we have got applications for some of our grants open right now you can also go to www.uncovered.ij4.eu to sign up for next year's uncovered like i said that's happening in april in berlin we'd be delighted to have you And also don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you can get notifications of when the next episode comes out. We're very excited to be launching this and to have had you listening. Thank you very much. See you soon.